All right, welcome everyone to a new episode of the Roscoe's Wetsuit Podcast. I am your host, Toby Passman. On the show with me today, we have a special guest, uh, Brendan from Master Talk. Brendan, uh, through his YouTube channel, Master Talk, has inspired thousands of change makers to work on their communication skills and share their ideas with the world. Brendan provides the exact tools on how to master public speaking to use it as a way to spread ideas that matter to people who need to hear them the most. He wants to create a world where everyone has access and free tools on how to communicate effectively. Brendan, welcome to the show. Pleasure's mine, Toby. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So tell me why public speaking? Why, why did you decide to focus on, on sort of mastering this, this uh, specific domain? Yeah, absolutely. So when I was in university, I used to do these things called case competitions. So think of it like professional sports, but for nerds. So while other guys my age were playing football or soccer or basketball or some other sport, I applied that same competitive spirit to presentations. So suffice to say, for three years, I presented hundreds of times, coached dozens of people, and competed in many different competitions. Actually, the University of Florida that's near you is actually a very big case competition school. So we go there all the time for these types of weird business competitions. But anyways, long story short, I graduated. And then after I got a corporate job, I just asked myself a simple question. How do I make a difference in the world? And that's when the idea for the YouTube channel came to be. So I started making YouTube videos on public speaking in my mother's basement because I realized a lot of the communication content was really bad out there. You hear advice like, be yourself or get up on stage. All of it was really useless. And then I just kept posting and posting and the rest was history. Got it. Got it. So what, what were the specific, like what, what sort of skills do you think that, that you started developing just as you got like, cause you were talking about kind of treating this as, as like a professional sport that you're sort of training for. What, uh, what did you notice just over time that what was getting easier? What did you need to sort of develop within yourself to, to become really good at this? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing was the environment and the intensity of that environment. So as you can probably tell, you know, I'm not in my 30s or 40s. I, I think the reason why I was able to accumulate so much communication knowledge in, in such a very short period of time, it's really because of that environment. So when you enter the program the first time, you're exposed to senior level executives and they're all your coaches. And you're some 20 year old kid starting in this and you're just like, oh, you know, I'm just going to present. And every time you present to make a mistake, they catch you on it. They go, hey, you need to work on this. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. And you're like, okay. And you're up against a lot of different schools around the world and you have to do really well. So I think dealing with those high pressure scenarios really helped me when I entered the real world. Because in that small group where we're presenting every day and all we think about is presentations. When we go back into the real world, well, no one really cares about presentations in the real world. So I had this, I realized when I got out that my, the skill that I had in that field was actually a lot bigger than I initially thought it was. It, it's kind of like the whole old saying, like if, you, if you're with professionals all the time, you think you're above average, but when you go and compete against people who don't do that forever all the time, you go, wait a second, I'm actually not bad at this thing. Right? So I would say that's the big thing is this whole idea of having a high bar for excellence in whatever you do. And I was able to transition that into master talk. Right. And it sounds like it was really important that you were getting that, that feedback from, from these top kind of coaches 
that like it was like constant it sounded like constant feedback you're getting corrected on every little possible thing that you might have done wrong or was that was that an important part of it yeah absolutely definitely the first year of the three years i competed and then the second and the third year the roles kind of switched i became that person in the sense that for the new people who are starting, I, I suddenly became the speech coach because we didn't really have one in-house. So I started nailing people on the smallest mistakes. But of course, if I'm giving the feedback, I better be the best speaker in the class, right? So I was always refining my own communication skills so that when I was giving feedback, people would listen and apply it. So I, I think the big lesson for me is the power of accountability. When you're around a group of superstars in a specific field, you're, you're going to become a superstar really quickly because you don't want to fall behind in the group. And I've applied that to different things that I do, whether it's my YouTube videos or whether it's my coaching stuff or really any other endeavor I take on. What was that, uh, what was that transition from, from you being the one getting coached to actually you, you doing the coaching? Were there different things that like, you picked up on maybe that even like, helped you become better at public speaking, just like from what you notice, like other people maybe messing up or doing well? That's a super sharp question. I think the way that I think about it, Toby, is this idea of at the beginning, when you don't have a lot of information in a certain skill, you're really just following somebody else, which is good, right? So let's say there's some expertise you have that I don't, I want to learn from you. But the challenge becomes when you get really good. So when you get really good at that thing, the challenge is how do you communicate that expertise in a way that someone who's chart- starting chapter one understands? So if you think about me and my YouTube channel, it was really challenging for me at the beginning to transition a lot of the coaching tips. I was giving a lot of the top speakers in the world and transitioning to someone who's just really scared of communication and just needs that first step, that, that small push, that small motivation to say, oh, you can master this too and make it really seem easy because it is at the end of the day, if you know the mechanics that go behind it. But it definitely was a struggle at the beginning because I've always believed in this idea that just because you know something doesn't mean you can teach it. So there's a lot of great speakers out there in the world, but there's a very small percentage of people within that group who actually know how to teach it properly to somebody else. And that creates a whole new skill set that requires a lot of empathy, patience, and honestly, a lot of mistakes and feedback. You know, I screwed up most of the coaching I did in those university days when I was trying to figure out how to coach people. But then over time, I developed frameworks and ideas, and that's what we see in the YouTube channel today. Is it sort of, you know, I, I just thought of the example of like when I, when I was first learning to drive, you know, I had a, a family friend teach me how to drive like a stick shift and, you know, they, they knew how to drive a stick shift inside and out, but their ability to like explain to me how to drive that stick shift, even like they were just doing it without thinking, it didn't necessarily mean that they could, they could put that into words, how to actually do that. So is that just like... Do you think the same sort of thing is going on when you have people, you know, who are excellent public speakers, but maybe they don't necessarily realize like what it is that's actually making them a great public speaker or how to communicate that to, to other people. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah. Bingo. hundred percent. You know, when I was watching the first videos before master talk started and I was watching everyone else on YouTube in my niche, I realized that problem very quickly. You know, they would say things like, you need to focus on the pause. 
I say, wait, is that all you're going to say? Like, what else? Like, how do we, how do we actually apply this? Or you need to remove fillers, but then how do you do it? Right. So it's just, there, there wasn't enough practicality in the knowledge I found. And it made sense as well. Speech coaches make a lot of money. So speech coaches aren't incentivized to create really good free content for people out there because they do really well for themselves. So that's why I noticed a lot of the gaps in the industry. And my hope is to try and fill those gaps. But, but the idea is simple is the key to teaching something to someone else is always trying to start with the quickest wins and the simplest ways that people can take a skill. So you take public speaking, which is the skill I guess I'm here to talk about. But the easiest skill in my book is what I call the puzzle method. So public speaking is like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, those thousand piece puzzles you kind of put together with your family. I guess now that's probably the only thing to do because of COVID, right? So, so if I asked you, Toby, let's say you're working on that puzzle. Which pieces would you start with first and why? It's been too long since I've done jigsaw puzzles. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, it's not a trick I, question. Right. I mean, probably just the, the end pieces, right? The, where you know sort of the outside framework, right? Exactly. Right. You start with the end pieces, the edges, and then you figure it out and then you work your way into the middle. But the question is, why don't we do that in public speaking? Well, we have a presentation at work, a research paper we have to present, or it's really anything. And what do we do? We start with the middle. We shove a bunch of content. Then we get to the presentation. We get to the last slide, and it sounds something like this. Oh, so thanks. That's probably 95% of all the presentations that year. That's why, for me, presentations is a lot like jigsaw puzzles. Start with the edges first practice your introduction 50 times not three times not five times do it 50 times it's actually not that hard it'll take you an hour same thing with the conclusion what's a great movie with the terrible ending terrible movie same thing 50 times two hours of practice toby will change your life you'll look at your presentation and go wow i've never really presented my introduction 50 times before i'm actually really good at this thing and then with that ad mindset that you have that you never had before, then you tackle the middle. But much like puzzles, who does puzzles alone? Nobody I know. So work together with friends, family, people around you, and master your communication skills. So I take it that, that the practicing the opening is going to like properly captivate the audience, and then the conclusion being really important to, to kind of nail home the presentation. Is that, is that how you, how you sort of view it as like the, the couple most important pieces being the beginning and the end? Absolutely. But, but I also see in the context of the quick win, you know, when people look at it, preparing a 30 minute presentation or even a 15 minute one, they're like, oh, geez, I got to do this presentation. Because most people view public speaking like a chore, right? It's like, a, it's like doing the dishes. Right. All the presentations we get in our lives are mandatory anyways. We don't, want, we don't wake up one morning and say, hey, Toby, you want to get breakfast and present all day? Nobody I know says that besides me. Right. So that's the key. So we need to start unlearning that chore-like manner that we associate to communication. So that's what my advice for people is always get the quick wins. Master your introduction. Get the best introduction you gave in your life. And then you'll go, wow, okay, I know how to do this then you'll have more confidence with the conclusion. And then after you master two parts, that's already 20% of your presentation done. So now you're just like, okay, 
I got 80% left to go. And I just got to do it with friends and family and I'll figure it out. Okay. And then, so for that, the rest, that, that 80%, um, what makes, what makes a presentation really great as far as, I mean, just, just, I'll tell you kind of my opinion on it, just kind of before you answer is it, it seems like, you know, you listen to like Ted talks. It's like, not necessarily that the content is, is that much different than, than other presentations. It's like, they just deliver it in such a riveting way that every single person in the auditorium seems like, you know, they're just fully engrossed in, in the presentation. Absolutely. And I completely agree. Here's the way that I see it, Toby. Don't, to not be too complicated for people is this idea that the middle is now the most challenging part of your presentation. How do you figure out? So I'll give you a super easy framework to follow. One is if you were to summarize your entire presentation in one sentence, what would that sentence be? So in my case, I could summarize my whole life's work in one sentence. And the one second, the one sentence is, I think anyone can master communication provided that they want to. That's it. If I convince you of that one sentence, you'll do everything else. You'll watch the videos, you'll take notes, you go to Toastmasters, you'll figure out the rest. But if I don't convince you of that one sentence, that you can actually master communication pretty easily with a lot of hard work, with some hard work, then, then, then nothing's going to happen, right? So same thing here. Figure out what your key idea is. If you were to summarize your entire presentation, one idea, what would that idea be? And then the second part of the framework is simple. What's the best way of defending your idea? Is it an analogy? Is it a personal story? Is it a quote? And that will entirely depend on the topic and who you are as a presenter. But going back to Ted, because it's a good example here, you'll never get this the first time. You know, I've presented the same keynote 350 times and now I can present it really well, but not the first couple of times. I mean, Tony Robbins has been doing the same damn seminar for 40 years, longer than you've been alive and definitely longer than I've been alive. Whereas this idea that when we communicate the same thing over and over and over again, we find better ways of defending that single idea. So it transitions from, hey, Brendan, what do you think about the fear of public speaking? Uh, well, I'm not really sure. I, I mean, I, I guess I probably don't know. But then after the 200th time you ask the question, you're like, well, here's my thoughts, blah, blah, blah. Look at now I know because I always get the same questions. Right? So it's the same thing with your ideas. What is that research paper? What is that idea? What is that movement? What is that nonprofit that you want to present a lot? that you can wrap a story, well, not really a story, but rather a key idea around and defending that key idea in the best possible way, which will be an iterative process. Okay. And going back to something you were saying about kind of people making up their minds that they want to actually become really good at public speaking. Is that something like in your work, do you, do you run into people with like a lot of psychological kind of blockages where they may not, you know, believe in their ability to actually get better they may think oh i'm just not you know i'm just an introvert i'm just socially awkward i'm not i'm not able to to do this like is is mindset a big part of your your coaching it is but it's not as big as you think it is i think that's the big difference so what do i mean by that at the end of the day if your reason to communicate is strong enough you're going to figure it out so what do i mean by this bernie brown is a good example i can demonstrate so Brene is one of the best speakers in the world, you know, expert on vulnerability is 
had multiple successful TED Talks. And she hates public speaking. She's very upfront, public about it, doesn't really like it, doesn't really want to do it. So why did she make the decision to do it? The reason is simple. She didn't want her knowledge to only live in research papers and books. She understood that at the end of the day, regardless of how good the information is, the single mother who has seven kids won't read her book. It's just the truth of the matter. She's too busy. She doesn't have the income to go to a seminar. It's just not going to work. So Brene Brown had to make a choice. Do I keep my knowledge and research papers and books? And most of those people in her position do make that decision. Or do I speak on a TED stage or some other stage and share it in a way that maybe that single mother would hear it? She made a choice at the end of the day. We all make choices on whether or not we want to share idea. And once you've made that choice, if the answer is yes, it is extremely easy to coach you. Because after that, the only thing left to do, Toby, is to make you do the harder thing first. Oh, Brendan, I'm worried about this presentation at work. Okay, how about I make you give presentations about things you knew absolutely nothing in? So that way, when you go back to presenting something you know something in, that presentation becomes really easy. That's an exercise I call the random word exercise, where you pick random words around your house, like tree or camera or basement, and you make random presentations out of thin air. And then as you get more comfortable with that exercise, you can present anything to anyone, anytime, especially if it's something you've prepared for in advance. What a joke. It's so easy, right? So that's the key. It's, it's all about developing mindset by doing the harder thing first. And of course, I'm happy to demonstrate if you'd like. Yeah, that would, yeah. What, what uh, specifically are you thinking? Sure. Give like me any more. Yeah. Give uh, me banana. Sure. Happy to. So Toby didn't give me this word prior. I just have to invent something. So here I go. As I'm walking up the stairs of my staircase and I look at the window, I notice how beautiful the weather is on the 6 a.m. morning. You know, every time I wake up, I always like to enjoy the same breakfast, the same eggs, the same bacon, the same piece of toast, and a smoothie. Not just any smoothie, you know, those green smoothies that everyone has, but the ones where I put a little extra bananas. Why? Well, bananas are great for you. There's tons of potassium. Monkeys seem to eat it, so there must be something right with these bananas. But I would say the biggest thing is bananas aren't just a fruit. They're an experience amongst others. They're the bananas that you can have through banana bread. They're the bananas that you have on your Sundays, the bananas that you have in every single thing that you do. And once you realize the power of the banana, not only will you be able to eat it and be more healthy, you'll be able to understand why it matters in the first place. So that's why in today's presentation, I'm gonna teach you the history of bananas and how you can start peeling the right way. And I'm hungry. Yeah, me too, man. <laughs> uh, so that was that was really interesting. Like what I what I noticed there was like so so you kind of started off with like where it it really like engaged the senses. Like you got me, you know, visualizing the food, the bacon, the eggs. You know, like like it was it was as if you like set the scene as if it was like you know a, a film a documentary. A video. Yeah, no, exactly. But it was like. So that, that's crazy that it's just like, it, it comes that you're so used to it that it's just like that 
quick for you to be able to kind of like spin a story. Right. And something and I really want to give push. it meaning too. Like it's yeah. not just like a random story about bananas that you speak, like, like speak in a smooth voice. It's like, it actually like, you actually like give it meaning like for why someone should be interested in you talking about bananas. Absolutely. And one thing I want to, a couple of things I want to push you when I give exercises like this, number one, never compare yourself to me, right? I've, I've literally done this exercise over 2000 times and I'm not exaggerating that number, right? So I'm just crazy. Even every show I'm on, I have to do it to kind of show credibility. Number two, all I'm asking for five minutes of your day, not five hours, pick five words, do what I just did or, or do something similar and then you'll get better. And if you do this every day for a year, you'll also have done it almost 2,000 times. Pretty good. Number three, understand why the exercise matters. A lot of you are listening to me and going, why would I do this? The answer is simple. If you're going to talk about bananas, couches, and other words I'm probably not supposed to say in the show and do really well in, when you go back to your subject matter expertise, the subject you spent months, weeks, days preparing, that presentation that you once were fearful of will suddenly become a joke. How, how do you go about like, cause you were, you were talking about how like, you know, Tony Robbins or uh, someone, you know, like that is like presenting the same, uh, the same material over and over. Like, how do you, how do you stay interested in the material? Like, like to me, if I was presenting, you know, some kind of like neuroscience, like paper that, you know, that I just read, I would like genuinely be interested in it. And I think that would, that would like just get conveyed to the audience that I was, but after doing it so many times where the material is like so repetitive to you, how do you stay, how, how does the audience stay engaged with the way that you're presenting it? Absolutely. I mean, you probably know, this is probably not my first rodeo with interviews. And I probably get the same questions, right? So how do we, how do we stay fresh? And obviously, Tony's on a whole other level. I mean, he's been doing it for much longer than I have. And he gets the same thing over and over again. So what keeps us going? The answer is more of a philosophical one. It's have dinner with the people who listen to you. What do I mean by this? The end of the day, the only reason why people like me or people like Tony just keep speaking out the same message is because there's always somebody who hasn't heard us yet. There's always somebody who's listening to us right now who heard the puzzle method the first time and it blew their effing minds. They just went, I never thought of public speaking that way. Maybe I can mess. We live for those moments. I remember I was seven months into Mass Talk Toby. I thought it was the stupidest idea ever. You know, I was, I was going to be a corporate executive. That was a smart thing to do. I'm making videos in my basement. I had like 17 subscribers. Who was going to watch me? Then one day, I was giving a pro bono workshop for look at this, this young leadership program for girls. And I was talking to this 13-year-old, and I just said, what do you think of public speaking? She freaked out. She was like, oh, I'm super scared of this. It's not something I like to do. She got really worried. And that's when I realized how important my ideas were. And that there's always going to be a little girl or a little boy or somebody who can't afford me who will always need me. So as, when I found that out, you know, I remember having dinner. What I mean by dinner is like I have conversations, meet people. I'm big on dinner though because I like having like 
I like to connect with food. So like 40 year olds, whatever. And then through those conversations, they start to tell you why your ideas matter. Because most people don't think their ideas matter. The only re way they figure it out is when other people go, well, Toby, your paper on neuroscience changed my life in this way, in this specific way. So obviously that's not me because I wouldn't understand your paper probably. <laughs> but somebody else would go, I didn't think of it the way that you connected the neurons and the, the way that you referenced this researcher and that research. Right? Somebody else needs to pour their hearts into you. And most content creators, most people who seek to make a change don't do that enough, which means the, the thing that they're trying to change is not going to work because they're not talking to the people that they're trying to change often enough and they're not getting constantly revalidated that the idea matters and revalidate doesn't mean validation it means this or approval it means hey you're on to something keep going because this thing is needed right okay that makes a lot of sense tell me about like can you give me some examples you know either in your like personal or professional life just in 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 the ways in which having like kind of you know put in all of this time and, and really mastered this art of public speaking, how has it really like paid off? Like, what have you noticed just, just going about your life? Yeah. I love the curiosity. So many things, man. But I'd say the big thing is just connecting with people that you don't know and building a relationship with them in, in rocket speed. Right. You know, now when I go to conferences and I just talk to people, you know, in five minutes, I'm able to build a super powerful relationship and the, and the conversations and the, the amazing discussions that come out of it, it's, it's always, it's always worth it. And the sense, you know, you just meet someone, you find out three minutes later that, you know, their mother is sick or uh, something bad happened in their life and they're very vulnerable and they're talking about all these things and you don't know them and you're just there to hold space for them. I, I think that's really powerful. And, and I think we all need better communication, whether you want to be on stage or not, in the sense that the, your life just is better. Like, I don't have a negative person in my life I don't fight with anyone in my life, literally, like the number is zero because I'm a good communicator. And most arguments, by the way, for those who are listening, whether it's romantic or not, always stem from misunderstanding. It's never you're wrong and I'm right or I'm right or you're wrong. It's rather what I understood is not what you understood. What you understood is definitely not what I understood. It's always those gaps that cause a lot of problems in our lives and once we are able to articulate those differences and bring them out and kind of squash them, then your life just gets better and you live much more peacefully. And to, to expand on that point, I was having a, a, a similar conversation with a buddy the other week and just, I mean, talked about how that same thing is like how many like wars and things in politics, like just all this stuff could be prevented if, if people could just understand where the other person was coming from more. I think it would, it would be, it would change the world. I'm with you, man. That's what I'm trying to do with Master Talk, man. We hopefully we live in a world where everyone can share their ideas that matter because I don't know which ideas are good. I'm not smart enough to figure that one out. So I might as well just give the tools and see what happens. I hear you. What, a, like, what do you think it is? Like you're talking about people just kind of like instantly like opening up to you about, you know, personal, like vulnerable stuff. And it's something actually that I've noticed this, like the same thing kind of happening in my own life, kind of the past like couple of years as I've kind of grown more into myself and, and gotten more confident, I guess, in, in speaking and relating to people. But like, what, what do you think that, that you, 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 uh, the phrase you used was like giving people the like space, the uh, space, like, what does that, what does that mean to you? Hmm. 
I, I think for me, it's a couple of things. The first thing I want to, I think is important to think about is for you to have interesting conversations, you need to first be interesting. So what do I mean by that? You means you need to be willing to ask questions and to enter realms of conversations that most people don't want to go to, to figure out who does want to go there, right? So if you think about me and the questions you're asking me, most people, if you're interviewing and this can't constantly be like, hey, Toby, why are you asking all these weird questions? But it's someone like me, as, I'm, as you can tell, I'm pretty open, right? I'm pretty open book. I just kind of keep answering as I go. So you need to seek out those types of people and go out to events like that to find those people. That would be step one. Then after that would be asking questions that most people aren't willing to ask. So questions like, what is the truth that you believe in that most people disagree with you on? If you had all the money in the world, how would you spend your time? What are you pretending not to know? If you were God, what would you do first and why? And if you died tomorrow, would anyone miss you? Right? So there's a lot of questions. And that's my favorite hobby is asking uncomfortable questions to people about their life. You can imagine when I approach some people about this, they kind of freak out. But the 10% who don't are the 10% of people I want to talk to. And that really want to talk to me. They're like, where, where have you been my whole life? Jesus, let's, let's go get a pizza and <laughs> talk. So, uh, so yeah, that's my perspective. Right. So you kind of got to uh, kind of test the waters and see if they're, they're able to, to open up on that level. Right. You know, the best way to hold space for people is to ask questions you actually want to know an answer to. Like, do we really care about how someone's doing? How are you? Good. You like, come on. It's always the same BS. Like, let's, yeah, sure. Say that at the beginning. How are you? Good. You then get to the cool questions, right? That's because that's what you're like. I'm in the reason I'm holding space because I want to know the answer. Like, let's go Like, create a selfish incentive for yourself. And then eventually you'll turn into me and you'll just hold space for anything. Right. It seems to work well with me. I mean, I've, I've always hated small talk in general. So it's like, I, I love just jumping right into the. I, I find hate is such a weak word. I despise, despise. self talk. <laughs> I mean, I, small talk, not self. Self talk is great. I'm talking about self, small talk. Yeah. I despise, like, I'm the enemy of small talk. If anyone tries small talk with me, I just literally just go, ugh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> it's just so. Well, because you know, it, if... it, it's what you were saying. It's like people, it, it, like people are just asking questions for the sake of asking a question. It's like they have nothing better to say or uncomfortable so they just ask something that make that that is like socially acceptable to ask but they don't really care the response to how your day is like that doesn't matter to them like i'm with you man like that's why for me as you can probably tell like some people will like me some people won't so i think in the same way some people like you some people won't so the key is just gravitate to the people who like you. Life's too short anyways. Let's say you live 50 more years. I'm sure you'll live longer, but let's say you live 50 more. And I live 50 more. And you meet 100 people a year. Let's say once every couple of days. That's 5,000 people. The question you need to think about is not, oh, Brendan, how do I get every, or Toby, how do I get everyone to like me in this networking business cocktail? No, no, no. It's who do you want those 5,000 people to be? Right? There's, billion, there's billions of people. You only get to interact with 5,000. It sounds crazy when you think about it. You only get 5K. Who do you want the 5K to be? What values do those people have? What are they trying to achieve? How does that align with what you're trying to do? And that's when everything gets a lot more clear. That really reminds me of the, I think this is a Kurt Cobain quote, I'd rather be hated for who I am rather than loved for who I am not. 
That's good. I'll, I'll give I, you, I'll, I'll throw you another quote. There's this famous physicist. Josh Wolf was talking about him. I forgot the name of the physicist was, but Josh Wolf quoted him. And the quote is, my only piece of advice is don't talk to boring people and don't be boring to other people. I said, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Uh, like in in terms of when when you when you go to a networking event what is what's sort of your approach as far as do you just start off like you're you're kind of saying start off like you know just with some kind of socially acceptable question hey how are you you know just to kind of get the ball rolling but then is your approach kind of just then just kind of ask them something that you're just genuinely it sounds like just ask them something you're genuinely curious about and want to know the answer to absolutely so so the way that i think about, i actually don't really go to networking events anymore but i usually attend events so for example uh, i go to events like mind valley which is a personal development community so when you go to an event like that it's, it gets really deep really fast literally so you go up to somebody and you go how's it going i'm brendan you know same thing schmuck stuff and then after you go what are you passionate about what are you excited about and then they immediately just go into their thing. They would say something like, oh, well, you know, I help kids deal with anxiety and depression. And then you go, well, what, what, what makes you passionate? And then they go into their life story, like almost immediately, which is super fun. I love it. Right. And then after that, I just listen to them and I go, oh, you should check out this resource and that and do this. And then I just get into this uh, crazy fun, uh, Brendan craziness. But I, I think the idea is the, the first thing that most people need to do is you need to enter a room that's already filtered. What does that mean? Let me make this very obvious for people. Let's say you have an obsession for collecting pens, Toby. It's a secret obsession you don't tell that many people. Nobody actually knows. And you don't have anyone to nerd out about pens with. It's like, it's like, the, it's like the bane of your existence. You want to like collect all 197 oak, whatever. So my advice to someone like you who loves these pens is to meet everyone else who cares about this. Right? Don't go to Cuba this summer spend that 200 bucks that 500 bucks fly out to a pen collecting conference that's like well known and go nerd out about pens with the other people in the audience that is what what i call finding your tribe right or i didn't coin that but you know this idea of finding your tribe finding the people that you're meant to connect with so for me just so people can use it as an example not as something to follow but like as inspiration i only care to talk to people who are trying to build something important if you're not a positive, purpose-driven person, I just don't have time for this anymore. Like, I'm going to die in 40 years. Like, I'd rather, or 50 years, let's see. But, like, you notice how I talk like an old dude, even if I'm 24. But the idea is, like, I only care about this small facet of groups of people. Obviously, there's, uh, I still treat everyone with respect and admiration. I still give space to everyone else. But the people I want to connect to are those people. So what do I do? I attend events where I know those people go to. And then I just talk to everyone and see who I like, see who I don't like, and then focus on building relationships with the people I like. And then the last step is simple, Toby. Once you're in the tribe, have your favorite person introduce you to all the other favorite people in the tribe, and then you know everybody in the tribe. That's it. Mm. And that's just easy then. That's just, I mean, that's just the domino effect almost. I mean, at that point, yeah. it's just, yeah. I mean, it's like, I, the way I think about it, it's like if I have a cool friend, I mean, I'm going to guess that, if I find them really cool, they're probably going to surround themselves with cool people. And those cool people are probably going to surround themselves with cool, you know? So it's, yeah, I, I think I, I know where you're coming from there. 
Oh yeah, literally. Like just two weeks ago, I got it. Uh, it was a month ago. Actually. I got introduced to somebody. We just kind of met for like thirty minute coffee chat over Zoom. We were already yelling at each other seven minutes in. It was the best. I loved it. It was just like, no, no, no you got to do about this, but you got to. It was just great. I just loved it. We just got right to the sauce, right? And we're really good friends already. And it's been what forty five days since we met. You know, it's the same thing. Do you have the confidence that that you can connect with? anyone like who who is able to be connected with i guess like like if they're able to open up about something i mean could you like like say it's say you get someone who's like is an expert in something that you know nothing about like some scuba diving i, I don't know if you scuba dive but just like okay so, so some scuba diving instructor who's been you know doing this like for for 50 like like are you do you have confidence that you can always sort of meet people at their level or no? No, I probably get it. I probably get it right. 80 to 90% of the time, but there's always, uh, there's always a 10% where I just mess it up. Absolutely. Right. And that's okay. I, I think the way I think about it in that context, I would just listen to them. Tell me about scuba driving. What about this? And I would just ask, cause I'm just a very curious person. Let's say I was, I was interviewing you about neuroscience. I'd be like, what is about the brain that fascinates you? Why didn't you pursue brain surgery why didn't you do that instead what is it about the research side like i would just like quiz you and like different areas and facets even if i have no technical expertise whatsoever but yeah i would always try my best but it definitely doesn't always land and there's a lot of people that i just can't it just, it just doesn't work they, they find me too loud or too obnoxious or annoying i don't know it's just life and then other different people communication yeah, and then Miles. other people, yeah. yeah, of course, man. And then other times you're just looking at them, you're like, where have you been my whole life? Jesus, how could I have spent 24 years not of meeting, not uh, having met you, right? And then it's like, that's the whole other vibe, which is great. Awesome. What, uh, what sort of like tips uh, would, I'm sure you've, you've gotten asked this, this a lot, but, but still, I think it's, it's interesting for just the listener, like, like people who are, you know, decent public speakers say they're not, you know, starting from nothing, but, but they just want to do, you know, a few basic things to really hone their, their public speaking skills. What would you, what would you recommend? Definitely the random word exercise is definitely the first way to go. Second is applying puzzle to one presentation. So I know we talked about the whole start with the edges first, do that. That will work for all of your presentations, but if you focus in on one topic and you master that topic, you'll be incredible at communication the shortest possible time. So for you, that topic is actually very simple. It's your own show. You have to promote it. You have to make slides on it. You have to talk about it, whether it's at a university, some chamber of commerce, some local community. You know, people want to know what you're doing. Like, what is this podcast about? Who you're trying to inspire? The beauty of that type of presentation is you can present it forever, right? It's, it's always the same presentation. It's always the same slides. So if you apply puzzle to that, it's going to quickly transition from, uh, hey guys, it's uh, Toby and I got this show today. And uh, to, ever since I was a kid, I was always fascinated by the brain and how different people live their lives. You know, it, it just, it's got to just transitions to, from A to B. So puzzle will be the second thing. Third thing is have dinner with the people you want to make a difference or you want to change or that you want to impact. I think a lot of people underrate the one-on-one -on -one discussions because if they don't know why their ideas matter, they'll be much less incentivized to even master communication in the first place. So I think having those dinners with a six-year-old, 
with the 20 year olds, with the 40 year olds, the 60 year olds, the 80 year olds, the people you want to actually change. That's when, uh, that's when the interesting insights come. And that's where a lot of my ideas for my YouTube channels and how I'm communicating to you right now comes like puzzle. I'll give you an example. Before what I used to explain puzzle used to be really complicated. I was like, there's three parts to a structure. You got to structure one, two, three. It's like, like, geez, like, what is this guy saying? One of my executive clients said that too. They're like, what are you saying? And like, she's like really tired after a long day at work. And then I just looked around my basement. I saw a puzzle and I was like, public speaking is like puzzle. And she's like, really? How? And I was like, good question. How is it? Oh, it's like, edge. oh, edges first. And I came up with puzzles and I was like, oh, that's the new analogy. No one came up with in the world. There you go. Awesome. Well, Brendan, we're coming up onto the end of the show, but one of the last questions I want to ask you, if you could have uh, conversations with three people, dead or alive, anyone, who would you choose and why? Yeah, absolutely. Why, do, why three? Why not just one? But I'm happy to give you. Could do, yeah, you could do one. I was, I, was trying to, I was trying to determine. I mean, three is just a... Uh, okay, you, sure. can, you, can, you can go wherever you want with that question. It could be one sure. person. Yeah, I, I can give you three if you want, but but I would say the number one person I, I definitely plan on having dinner with him in the next three years is Scott Harrison, who's the CEO of Charity Water. Uh, I, I just I'm really fascinated by the guy. I, he's he used to be a nightclub promoter in New York, and then after that he started one of the biggest nonprofits uh, to get to get people access to clean drinking water. And his story is fascinating me. The way that he's built status within the nonprofit, the way that he manages his teams, the way that he manages his relationship with his wife. I just think he's an overall awesome dude. And his book is fantastic too. Just Thirst by Scott Harrison. So yeah, he's definitely someone I would love to connect with and ask him a lot of questions that he probably doesn't say on the record. That's probably one. Uh, the second person was probably Gary Vaynerchuk. I like Gary a lot. Uh, a lot of people don't like him. But uh, I don't know. He just motivates me. He gets me going. And I don't think I would have started the YouTube channel if it wasn't for his, uh, his, his simple way of motivating and pushing people to move forward. I, I just like the guy's big on legacy. You know, People seem to forget that he has a net worth of $300 million, but he acts like a, a neighbor on the street that you can just talk to. And I, and I really appreciate about him. And I try and make my brand as reflective as that as possible in my industry, obviously. Third person... I'm debating between a couple of figures, but I'd probably go with Peter Thiel, who's the uh, author of the book Zero to One and the founder of many different companies like PayPal. Uh, you know, he's best friends with Elon and, you know, all that stuff. He's crazy guy, crazy great framework. And he's the guy who came up with the question, what is the truth that you believe in that most people disagree with you on? And there are so many things I would ask Thiel. Uh, that, would be, uh, that would be a fascinating conversation. So I would say those three people. Right on. Well, Brendan, if, if people want to find out more about your work or uh, connect with you, where would you direct them to? Absolutely. Best place is definitely the YouTube channel, Toby. So all you have to do is go on YouTube, type master talk in one word, and you'll find me there in all of my communication videos, how to speak in public. I pretty much answer every question in the book. But if you have any questions that I didn't answer, feel free to send me a message on Instagram or send me an email, and I'll be sure to add it to my list. Great. Well, Brendan, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And for our listeners who enjoyed the show, go ahead and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We are Roscoe's Wetsuit Neuro. And you can also find audio versions of the podcast available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, just about anywhere else you can find uh, audio podcasts. Again, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Brendan. Of course, man. Pleasure.
Absolutely.